Today, the title of this sermon is Intentionally His. We've been talking about intentionality for a long time. And um, how many of you know it's, you just, if you want your life to fulfill the purposes of God and the purposes in your heart, then you're going to have to be intentional with your life. And so before I dig into this message, I want to start, before I talk about how we can live intentionally for him, I want to talk about how he intentionally lived, Jesus. And so there's a few scriptures. I actually have a lot of the word to share with you today. Um, that's just a lot of meaty scriptures. The first one I want to share is in Philippians 2.6. And I just want to give you a few verses, and I think a lot of you know this, but just to show you guys how Jesus was so committed. He was committed to the Father. He was committed to the mission of coming to the earth and dying upon the cross and raising again, and he was committed specifically to you and I as people. And so, you know, it wasn't because he's God doesn't mean that it was just something that was easy for him to do. Um, he, he suffered and he actually had to wrestle with his will. We see that in the Garden of Gethsemane, how Jesus actually wrestled with his own will so that he could do the hardest thing he would ever do, which would be to lay down his life, to take upon all the sins of all mankind for us. And so if he's going to ask us to do something for him, he's showing us the way that he actually did it first for us. And so in Philippians 2.6, it says, though he was God, talking about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. And I believe this verse shows us that Jesus was committed specifically to a mission. And that commitment took his humility. It took him to humble himself in obedience to God in order to die that criminal's death. You know, this isn't something we think of very often, but as I was just imagining with God and just spending time with him preparing the sermon, I began to think of Jesus before he was born as a baby and before he grew up on the earth. Have you ever just imagined that conversation in heaven? Like, I mean, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are all one, but they're each also their own person. But they function completely together as one. There's one God, and he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But can you imagine in heaven, before he left that place where he was completely glorified, where there was no need, where he was ruler in all authority. Like, I don't know, just take your mind for a moment and imagine like him in his own heart coming to the place of surrendering his will that he was going to come and leave that place, that eternal place where he always had been with the Father. Because we learn in Genesis that Jesus always was. In the very beginning, God made man in, in, in his image. And the Bible actually says that it was, he speaks of us. In the images of God, he created them. But so it was God the Father. I didn't say that right, but I think you guys got the picture. Jesus Christ the Son and Holy Spirit. So Jesus left heaven to come down as a man. And I just think that took, as this verse talks about, it took so much humility for him to do. 
but that he was so committed, his why was big enough that he would come to the earth and he would suffer and he would carry the weight, like I said, of all of our sin upon his body. He would actually demonstrate who the father was and how to live perfectly so we could become followers of his, amen, so we could be united with him, so we could have all the promises of God. We could be forgiven and be children of God. That's just a beautiful and powerful reality. And then in 1 Peter 2.25, um, if the verse starts out talking about what credit is it if you were beaten for faults and you take it patiently, but when you do, do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable, commendable before God. I'm going to start with verse 21. It says here, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. We see here Jesus was committed to the Father. His commitment to the Father is actually what empowered him to not revile in return. To revile means that actually Jesus was tormented mentally. When the people actually mocked him and ridiculed him and shouted crucify him and when they insulted him and they threw that crown you know that put that crown of thorns upon his head that said king of the jews and they mocked him he was reviled and he didn't revile how did he do that because we know that when someone hurts us as much as we don't want to operate in that same spirit it can be really difficult right? Because human nature is to want to retaliate. Someone says something against you, human nature wants to bring a comeback, right? But Jesus didn't do that. It says here that he didn't revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten them, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. And I think that's the answer. The answer was his commitment that he was wholly committed to the father. And he knew that ultimately the father is the judge, and I'm just going to just keep reading on to complete that passage of Scripture. It says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we have died to sins, we who have died to sins might live in righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you like sheep going astray, you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And now for how he was committed to us. In Hebrews, it says that we can fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the perfecter, and he is the pioneer of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. That's a verse you've probably heard us talk about often, but it's such an important passage because it tells us that Jesus is actually the one who is the perfecter and he's the pioneer of our faith. If we're serving Jesus, it's because he began a work in us, right? Like there was something in our hearts that caused us to cry out to him. There was something inside of us that drew us to him and he's actually the perfecter of that faith. He's working inside of us so that we could please him. He's working inside of us so that we could fulfill his purpose on the earth. And he led us by example and he actually endured. He suffered on the cross despising the shame because he had a joy set before him. And we know that that joy was you and I and every other person that, face, that walks on the face of the earth. That he came for that purpose so that we could be restored and so that we can know him as he knows us. 
So now, now what about us? Like, I don't know. I don't know if you if you're realizing this, but lately, I feel like it's actually a struggle for me because it feels like nowadays it's so hard to get people to commit to anything. Anybody feel that way? Maybe you call an electrician to come and work on your house, or you have a friend that you just want to go shopping with you, or you have a favor that you need somebody to do, and it's just really hard to get a committed yes or no out of them. Is, is, am I the only one feeling this, or is it kind of happening everywhere? It's kind of happening everywhere, right? I don't know what that is. I think it's some of us are overly committed, maybe in too many places. Maybe it's a lack of trust. I think it could be a lot of things. But I know for sure there's one thing that we need absolutely to be absolutely committed to, and that is to the Lord. That is actually what he calls us to. He calls us to a life of absolute commitment where he is our priority. He's the most important one in our lives. And everything else in our life falls underneath that. Everything else that we do, everything that we say, the way we operate in our relationships, the way that we labor, the way that we have fun, all the other things that we do flow out of our first commitment, which is to Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior. Amen. I want to read to you a passage of scripture. Um, I actually have a lot of it typed out, but we're not going to we're not going to read it all. Um, I would encourage you to read it all at some point. It's First Corinthians chapter six. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing, but I just want to give you a little bit of background before I get to the specific part I want to read. So First Corinthians six. This is Paul, and he's speaking to the church. And he actually starts by talking to the church about what's happening. And what's happening is actually, I don't know the complete circumstance because the Bible doesn't give us the whole picture, but people who are Christians, people who are believers are going to court and they're suing other believers. Okay, and so Paul comes to them with this letter and he begins to correct them. And he begins to say that, like, you guys are of the same household. You guys are brothers and sisters in Christ. The what is happening should not be happening. There should be someone among you with enough wisdom to help you actually sort out what's happening. Whatever this ordeal is, there should be a believer inside of you to protect this faith, to protect this relationship and this unity that we have as believers. And so then he goes on after bringing that correction, and he begins to talk about many other things. He begins to say, um, don't be deceived, he says specifically. Right before that, do you not know that the, un- that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he's talking to them because they're living in a way that is not conducive of the character of Christ. The things that they're doing, the way that they're living just in their everyday life is not reflecting who Jesus is. And as carriers of Christ, as people who have given our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ, what we are to be is a reflection of him. Amen? We're called to this love relationship, friends, where our hearts are completely devoted to Jesus. He's become our Lord and our Savior. And as Lord and Savior, he is basically the master of our lives. This morning, I went to sit by Chuck and Dorothy, and I was saying good morning to them. And out of Chuck's mouth, he just said, well, whatever." I can't remember exactly how you said it, Chuck, but it was something to the reflection of, well, whatever the Lord wants, I do it. I'm his. He's lived a lot of years for the Lord, and he has a basic foundation of Christianity down. As believers, that is the way that we're called to live, that whatever he desires, we are his. We belong to him. We're intentionally his. And so Paul goes on to, he's telling them that the people who practice unrighteousness, you're not going to 
enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, don't be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says this, and such were some of you. And this is just the reality. I was these things, okay? I was these things. I was a liar. I was a fornicator. I was not a drunkard, but I drank once in a while. I was scared to get really drunk. (laughs) But I did a lot of these sins. And the reality is that all of us have. There's not one person in this room who has not sinned. Every single one of us are guilty in some way of breaking God's law. If you've ever told a lie, you are guilty and you need a savior. And that savior is Jesus Christ. So he's pulled us out of darkness and he brings us into light. And so that's why the Bible has is such and such were some of you, but you were washed. This is who you used to be. That This isn't who you are anymore. You were washed. And you were sanctified. Sanctified just simply means to be set apart. You were set apart. But you were justified. Justified means just like you have never sinned before. That's what happens when we come to Christ. It doesn't matter what we did before him. All that matters is we've come to him. And now it's like we've never sinned at all. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And then he goes on and he says, I'm just reading this all to you because I want to keep it in its context. So it says, he goes on, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And then he goes on, he talks about food and uh, now the body, uh, talks about food and how, I'll just read it. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both, both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And both, and God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up in his mighty power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and join it with the harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined with a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Friends, this is the truth. And you know what? Like some of these scriptures can be kind of hard to hear, right? Like this can be hard correction. But this is the word of God. And we shouldn't shy away from the hard truths of the word of God. Because every single thing that God tells us is for our good. And the fact of the matter is, I'm just going to speak this in the room while there's a few young people in the room, is when you join your body to another person that you're not married to, it actually is destructive, It actually harms you, like physically. That's where a lot of diseases come from. It harms you emotionally because your soul becomes tied to this person, and you're really only meant to be tied to one person like that, and it's the person that you marry. And so you know what? If you have failed in that way, just as I once failed in that way, I want you to know there's not condemnation. There's actually forgiveness. Jesus is so faithful. You know, when I married my husband, I wish it were the fact we never came together intimately. But before I married him, I I lived a life of sin. I did what I want when I want. 
And you know what? The outcome of that was destruction. I had a very weighed down, heavy heart. My mind was confused. I had a lot of bitterness. I had a lot of darkness. And that's what sin does. It actually harms us. And so that's why the Lord hates sin, because he loves us. He's a good father. But the beautiful thing about the redemptive power of God is that when I became a Christian and all my sins were washed away and I got this brand new start at life, and I later then met my husband and we decided we were going to wait till we got married. On that night that we came together, it was like our first time. There was something that was so pure and beautiful. And I say that because if you're in this room and you have failed, I want you to know that there's redemption. I want you to know that it doesn't mean everything's ruined, that God is actually a redeemer and he can heal you and he can cleanse your body. And then it goes on to say this in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Everybody, let's say that together. I am not my own. Say it again. I want us to remember it. I am not my own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this is what happens when someone gives their life to Jesus. We're not only saying, Jesus, I believe in you, which we need to believe in him. He's the hope of all mankind. But we're also saying, I am committing my life to you. I am giving you myself. And he fully receives us. We become fully his, and he becomes fully ours. Our spirits are actually united with Christ, and all the goodness of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Peace and gentleness and mercy and self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit. I didn't say them all, but they all are in our born-again spirit. And God calls us to live for that, from that place, but it's a journey, when a baby is born and they start to walk, we don't expect them to never stumble, right? Actually, we know they're going to fall a lot, and sometimes it's quite hilarious because they just tumble. And they get so excited, they get back up, and then they run, and then they tumble. And you know what? A loving father bends down to that little child that's failed. And what does he do? He doesn't shame them for falling. He helps them to get back up, and he teaches them how to walk. And that is the God that we serve. And right now, if you're a believer, you're his, and he's teaching you how to walk. He's teaching you how to live. But our job needs to be, to be, to be moldable and to be pliable and to let him. Because if you've ever tried to teach somebody something who doesn't want to be taught, it's very frustrating and you don't get very far. So our part is that we just have to be teachable. Amen. So I want to read to you guys another chunk of scripture. I told you I'm going to read you a lot of the word this morning, and it's Colossians 3, verses 1 through 15. I didn't give this back there to you guys, so you won't have it on the screen. I don't think anyways, but maybe you will. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It's a big chunk of scripture, but it's really good. So if you're getting sleepy, just lean in on your seat a little bit. I want you to get this. It's the word of God. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. I'm going to pause. What I love about this, these verses is they're going to tell you who you actually are. Okay, because there's all kinds of confusion in this world about who we actually are. But the scriptures will tell us who we really are. 
So please just lean in for a minute and listen well. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have been stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and you become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, if you're barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in us all. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, tender kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you. And so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. That was a big hunk of scripture, but isn't it so good? Like Jesus is actually telling us, God is telling us through his word what we need to do. He's actually, don't you guys like sometimes when somebody just tells you what to do? Because have you ever been there? Like somebody just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Sometimes I feel like that often. Sometimes it's my nine-year-old that comes in the room and says, Mom, let me help you and show you what to do. This morning he did that when I couldn't get a needle out of the sewing kit so I could separate my eyelashes. He's like, what are you going to do with that needle and why are you bringing it towards your eyes? It's like, it's okay, buddy. I'm not going to poke myself in the eye. But he knew what to do with that little container that I couldn't open. Here is God's words, friends. Let it show you how to live your life. Let it fashion you. Let it form you. But you know what? We have a part to play. If you look at the scriptures we read, listen to the actions, action words. Put on your new nature. Okay, so our spirits have been born again. When we accept Christ, the Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. We become this new born-again person. But we actually have to put on our new nature. And then it says things like get rid of. Like 
Have you ever accidentally got rid of something in your house? Maybe you have. Maybe I have actually too. But most of the time when you get rid of things, you do it on purpose, right? Like you go into a room and you begin to sort it out and say, okay, I don't want these things anymore. And then you replace them with something new. That's what God's doing inside of us. He's actually helping us get rid of this. Now, to get rid of something, you actually have to be mobile. You have, you have to be intentional. You have to set aside a time aside that you're going to do it. It takes intentionality, and that's what God wants for our lives. He doesn't want us to say, oh, that's okay. This is just too No. Like Christ is renewing us. We're being made new. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ himself. And I want to talk to you for just a few minutes now about some of the beauty of that. So there's several things that happen when we become children of God. There's a new identity that God gives us. Nicodemus, there's a story in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus, who was a uh, Pharisee, he was a Pharisee, right? He came to Jesus by night. Some people say maybe he came in secret. Maybe night was just the only time he had opening, an opening. I don't know. But either way, he came to Jesus, and he had recognized that Jesus was doing miracles. He said, teacher, surely you're from God. I see that you're doing miracles and you're all these teachings. And Jesus looked at him and just said to him very simply, Nicodemus, now you have to realize he was a man who studied the law his whole life. His whole life was actually very devoted. He was very intentional with his whole life as a ruler of the Pharisees to know and to study the law. But Jesus looks at him and he looks at him square in the eyes and he says, Nicodemus, the answer to the pursuit of your whole life, I'm paraphrasing, is you must be born again. You must be born again. You can study the law all your life, and it's still not going to change your heart. But when you are born again, your heart is actually made new. And that's what happens with every one of us when we give our lives to Christ. We're born again, and then we have to put on that new life. We have to actually work with God. We partner with him to live for him, and we live out of our new identity. And have any of you ever struggled with your identity before? Have you ever struggled with just who you are? I have. Come on. Maybe some of you have. I'll give you some examples. I can rem- There's so many different ways that people can struggle with their identity. Um, for me, some of it had to do with the fact that, like, I just didn't have a dad around growing up. So there was a part of me that felt like, why wasn't I worth my dad doing what a dad should do? So that was part of my identity crisis. I had a struggle with insecurity. I didn't really believe that my life was worth much because of what happened to me at a young age. So all these identity problems that came into my life. But the moment that I received Christ, there was like this hope and this life that began to rise up inside of me. And I can't say that every part of me changed right away. There's still times where I struggle with insecurity. There's still times that I struggle with, am I doing this right? Did I say that right? Did I do too much? Did I not do enough? And I actually, I know that I'm God's daughter, But the struggle still comes sometimes, and I have to overcome it by reminding myself of who I am. So I want to remind you today, as someone who is in Christ, what is your true identity? Number one, you're a son, and you're a daughter of God. And everything that you do in life should come from that place, that you are God's daughter or you are God's son. And the very basic part of our identity is that we are beloved. We're beloved of God. We are 
so incredibly. That's John 3.16, my friends, the scripture that everyone knows. For God so loved the world. Amen. We are beloved of God. We're God's children, and he loves us. And there's nothing we can do that will separate us from his love. Number two is that when we discover our new identity is all of a sudden we have purpose. You know, a lot of depression is actually cured when people come in to realize and to walk in purpose. Purpose is an amazing answer to a crisis of depression, which is actually huge in America right now. I want to read to you a scripture about your specific purpose. Actually, I marked it in my Bible here. So it's in 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, I'm going to read verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, if you're breathing in here, whether you're young or whether you're old, no matter what you look like, no matter what your past looks like, if you are a child of God, If your life has been made new, you have actually been given a ministry by God. And it is the ministry of reconciliation. You have a purpose in life to help people come to Jesus. You have a purpose in life, the Great Commission, to go and to make disciples. And when you begin to walk out that purpose, there will be new joy that rises up in your spirit. Another part of our identity is we have promises from God. The scriptures are full of promises. And as people who know him and love him, it's our job to get into the Bible and to begin to find out what are those promises, and then we grab a hold of them by faith. Another part of our identity in Christ is that we're given freedom. Freedom from the bondages of Satan, free from his yokes of oppression, free from, the lie, free from the lies of what he speaks about us and who he says we are, free from the power of sin and death. We're given freedom. And the other part of our new identity is we get a new belief system. Now, I want to tell you guys, that comes through studying God's word. That new belief system is going to come by the study of God's word. I can remember just when I first became a Christian, I was 16, and I was so hungry, and I trusted, I trusted the things my pastor taught at the pulpit, but there was still a lot of things that I didn't understand, and sometimes he would say things, I was like, I just don't know if that's true, and I needed to go study it out myself, and so I would go to my Bible, and I would look up every verse that I could find about the subject, everything that God said about it, and that's who I, how I actually formed my new belief system, by seeking God out, by reading the scriptures for myself, and so part of your identity is you actually have a responsibility for your belief system to be formed and fashioned by the word of God. The other part of you being a new creation and being completely his, because we're talking about being intentionally God's, is we have a new set of priorities. Our priorities aren't what they used to be, because as people who don't serve God, we're taught to just do what feels good, right? Just do what feels good, Do what makes you happy. But as children of God, we're actually given new priorities. And so we have to learn 
to function and to flow out of again being a son or daughter. And so we have to have like our new priorities to, I love, I think it was Johnny Clausen actually that said this once. He said, when you have a priority, you're thinking of one thing prior to another. It's the basics of priorities. So if someone says, can you do X, Y, Z? And I know that my priority that day is to spend time with my husband because I've already arranged that. Then before I make that commitment, I would need to go to him and think of him first, right? And talk to him first. That would be that order of priority in the situation. Well, as believers in Christ, we have new priorities. And so we have to look at our agenda, like our agenda of why do we do what we do? Like even something as simple as like, why am I showing this person love? Why am I going the extra mile to do something for him? Is it for my own gain or is it out of the fact that I love them and God loves them and I would have a desire to serve them. And we have to actually allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and to help us to sort those things out. The other new priority that God, that, we're, that we need to walk in as people that belong to him is even the priority of our time. How do we manage our time? Is our time a reflection of the fact that we are sons and daughters of God? What does that look like in our everyday way? Do we make time to spend with Jesus? Do we make time to seek him? Do we make time to go to church and to worship him? The other, the other new priority is the management of our relationships. You know, when I first became a Christian, I can remember, like, you know, Jesus sat with sinners. He wasn't afraid to sit with sinners. Like, he... he his disciples that he called, one of them was a tax collector, which isn't the same thing as what a tax collector is now. Tax collectors in that day were actually cheats, and all they wanted was really to make money. And he made one of them his disciples, and he actually transformed him to be a fisher of man, right? He gave him destiny and purpose. But for us, well, we look at managing our time and managing our resources and managing our relationships. It needs to be that God... I want everything I do to reflect you. And I can remember, like I said, as a new Christian, just wanting to go back. I had just moved to a new state, and I wanted to go back to where I used to live and hang out with my old friends because it was fun. Like, we had a good time. But, and, and also there was a part of me that also thought, I want my old friends to know about Jesus. Now, that's good, and that's right. Like, it's right to want your old friends to know about Jesus, and you should go and hang out with people who are not saved. You should be a reflection of Jesus to them. But you need to make sure that you're at a point in your walk with God, that you're not going to just begin to copy and model their behaviors, but instead you're strong enough in God to lead them. If you're not, and if you're only surrounding yourselves with people who don't believe, you're going to end up walking and living like they live. And so I remember going to God about going back to Vegas, and the Lord just told me no. He's like, no, you're not ready for that. And I'm so grateful for that protection because God's a good father. He protected me from falling back into the ways that I used to live. And so we have to trust him even with our relationships, even with who am I going to spend my time with God. And the next thing I want to mention is just what does it feel like to be completely God's? What does it feel like? What does it feel like? It feels, number one, like acceptance. Right? It feels like there is someone who loves me unconditionally. And no matter what I do, no matter how I fail, I know that he'll be there. And that is the power of being completely his, is that he fully embraces us and loves us with all of our flaws, with all of our insecurities. He loves us. We're his beloved, 
and we're completely accepted. And that actually changes our hearts. It changes our ability to do things because we no longer see ourselves as incapable. We are see ourselves as God's children. Amen. It changes the way, how does it affect the way we feel? It also changes our convictions. Like now there's things that we used to do that we just can't do anymore. And, you know, that should actually stay the same way and, and actually just grow even as you mature as a believer. Because it's not like because I've been walking with God for 30 years, I'm never convicted. That's just not true. Like, I am still convicted. And there's things that I'm convicted of today that I wasn't convicted of 10 years ago. Because I just didn't know back then. And so our lives should continually feel God's good conviction. And it's not condemnation, friends. It's conviction. It's that feeling inside like, oh, this just doesn't feel right. Even sitting in this conversation and listening to what people are saying right now doesn't feel right. And you learn to step away. You learn to not take part, even when it's believers that are sitting around sometimes having specific conversations and you feel like this just grieves the Father's heart and it grieves mine. And so you learn to either speak up or in some cases you need to walk away. It also feels like vulnerability. Come on. When you're not serving God, sometimes you can just put on a mask and keep doing things. But when your life is intentionally Jesus's, you have to get vulnerable. You have to actually be able to open your heart and not just open it up to God, but open it up to other believers and tell them how you really feel. Tell them what your struggle really is. Tell them the things that you're afraid of or maybe the sins that you committed. Let them minister over you. Let them speak life into you. Being vulnerable is part of how it feels to be completely his. It feels like joy because in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. It feels like work because we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and sometimes that work is hard. It feels like rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It feels like adventure because when you serve God, there's a calling and there's a purpose inside of you. And you get to learn how to walk with him and how to follow him. And sometimes he calls you to go places that you would have never went on your own. And he calls you to do things that you never thought were capable on your own. It feels difficult because sometimes you have to leave your friends behind or maybe leave your family behind to go and to follow him. It feels like peace. Because your life is now hidden with him, and he is your peace. And it feels also like sacrifice, because you also have to lay down your life in order to pick his up. There's a story that I want to end on, and it's a story of a pastor. His name was Pastor Chen, and he pastored in, um, in China. And I heard his story not too long ago from another minister. And um, he, Pastor Chen was arrested. He had a church of maybe about 100 people. And um, communist China, they found out what he was doing in this underground church, and they arrested him. And, you know, as a Christian thrown into prison in China, they treat you worse than they treat a murderer. So this man suffered tremendously. Like anything they could do to try to get him to deny his faith, they did. And eventually, after 12 years in prison and 12 years of them not being able to break him, they said, we know what we're going to do. We're going to throw him down into the, help me, honey, what's it called? The cesspools. So they threw him into the cesspools, which were underground. And they said, your job from morning to night is to walk the cesspools, and to keep everything moving. 
And when he first got down there, he cried out and he said, God, is this the end? Is this the rock bottom for me? Is this the very end? And he almost died because the smell was so putrid and horrid in the cesspools. But then all of a sudden he realized something, that down in the cesspool there was actually quiet. And in the quiet, he could raise his hands and he could begin to sing praises to God. He could begin to worship God. He could begin to get in the presence of God. And he had missed that because on the top in the prisons, there was always so much chaos and noise that he was finding it hard to get into God's presence. And so down in the cesspools, he raised his hands. And from morning to night, he would begin to glorify God. He'd begin to worship God. And the glory of God filled the place. And he says that the smell actually transformed into the smell of roses. As the glory of God filled that place. And for six years, from morning to night, that was what he did. That was his life. Walking the underground basements of disgustingness as torture yet in that place of sacrifice he found joy he found peace and he found the presence of God and when the time came for him to get out of prison and to go back to his church of about a hundred people he didn't know if there would even be any people left and when he got there he was shocked because five thousand people came out to greet him and he was like oh my tell me what happened I can't believe this how did the church grow even to this number and one of the people looked at him and they said well for about 12 years not much happened but about six years ago the presence of God and the power of the Holy Spirit began to fill the church and the church exploded my friends There is something about when you are in your deepest, lowest place, when everything is hard, raising your hands and glorifying your Father. It is in that place that you will find the nearness of God. It is in that place that you'll find the presence of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything you can't do on your own, when you're in God's presence, it all changes. So I want to encourage you this morning as I close. Have you drifted from serving God with all your heart? Is Jesus still your first love? Are you completely his or are you only partially his? Are you only his on Sunday or maybe on Tuesday? Jesus gave everything so that we could freely give him everything back. And I know sometimes it's hard. And I know sometimes we just wander astray. But serving Jesus isn't supposed to be something that's casual or taken lightly. Serving Jesus should be giving him our entire life, even if it were to mean that we were to be thrown in prison like Pastor Chen did. So would you just bow your head with me as we pray? Father, we just are so desperate to know you, God. We're so desperate to love you and to serve you. And God, if we have drifted from you, if we have forsaken our first love or even rejected you and denied you as Peter once did, we want to say we're sorry. We're so sorry, God. We want to serve you. We want to come back to our first love. 
We want to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our being. Sometimes we don't even know how, so we ask you, Jesus, to teach us how. Show us how to follow your footsteps. Show us how, Lord, to live in the identity of Christ as we are united with your spirit. Show us how, Lord God, to make you our priority and not to be passive about following you or obeying you. God, we just pray if there's anything that needs changed in our lives, we invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to convict us and to show us, God, so that we can live fully for you. Come on, just tell him right now. Just whisper to him and tell him, I want to live fully for you, Jesus. Just from your own heart, just committing your heart to God afresh, telling him you want to live fully for him. You surrender to him. You surrender your agenda. You surrender your priorities. You surrender your identity. Everything you do, everything you say, that you want it to be like Jesus. God, we do surrender to you. And we need you so desperately, God. We ask you to father us and to forgive us for areas that we've failed. God, we don't want to serve the things of this world. We want to serve you.